This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Thanks, Mo. Good morning, church. And good morning to all of our church family online, too. Uh, We want to just recognize the fact that we see you. Well, maybe not literally, but we acknowledge you and we want you to know that, that you are just as much of an important part of this church family, whether you're at home right now or whether you are here and we're praying for you. We're going to start something today and continue every Sunday following while we are in the book of Revelation, and that is to read aloud the entire text of scripture from Revelation that we're going to be preaching from. And there's a specific reason why we want to do this. If you caught back in chapter one, in fact, if you want to go ahead and turn, get your Bible, if you've got it, or online device, we'll be reading in just a moment Revelation four, but back in chapter one, there's a very unique and distinct promise that is made about the book of Revelation that no other book of the Bible has. And it's a direct promise from God. The Bible tells us about our God that he cannot lie. So this promise is guaranteed to be trusted and depended upon. Here's what God said. Revelation, I'm reading from chapter 1, verse 3, regarding this prophecy or letter called Revelation. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So each Sunday, prior to the teaching of the text of the book of Revelation, we're going to just take a moment and read God's word and hear him speak to us with this promise that God will bless us for doing so. We're going to be teaching from Revelation 4 this morning, so let's read this together. I'll read aloud, and you follow along. John writes... After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it, and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, 
they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they were created and have their being. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And now Darren is going to teach from this text. Hey, good morning, Conduit family. Um, I am coming to you from my office, my home office. I woke up feeling um, just a little loopy, which I think is from steroids that I'm taking for poison ivy or poison. I don't know. I wandered into the woods and came out with some kind of rash. So I don't know. Uh, they told me it wasn't leprosy, so I feel like that's a huge win. Um, yeah, so I had a little bit of a scratchy throat, which normally this time of year, I would say a long bike ride yesterday, which I did. It's probably allergies, but, uh, you know, it's just a reminder of the times that we're in that, you know, if you have a symptom like that, that the best idea is to above and beyond. So I'm, I'm, I'm above and beyond and sitting in my living room and uh, we'll, I just, I'm going to teach really quickly through Revelation. I know that uh, this is a little weird to be watching it on video in church. We always said we didn't want to have a video campus, uh, I guess. I didn't think about whether uh, the corona season would force us into a video campus. So anyway, I'm going to read. Um, I'm going to do my best to teach this from my living room. And I pray that you'll give me some uh, grace as I go through this this morning. But when I was looking at Revelation 4, it was like, for me, this was the best timing ever to be in Revelation 4 this week. Uh, because it's heaven. Like this is where in heaven, the church is in heaven. Chapter four always comes after chapter three, right? Always has, always will. Uh, from here on out, like we'll see that the church is in heaven in Revelation four and five. And I'll talk about that in depth in the, in the deeper podcast this week of what I think that means for us and uh, what I believe is to be the imminent return of Jesus. Um, I really do. Uh, but what I love about this passage is that in the middle of this, uh, these 22 chapters of Revelation, chapters four and five, we get to go to heaven. Um, and in heaven, the most prominent feature in heaven is a throne. Uh, it's mentioned, I think, 14 times in the book of Revelation is this throne. And or just in chapter four, I'm sorry, this is, is mentioned there. And what we see, what's on the throne, right? That's one of the things that it's gonna say, what's from the throne, what is in front of the throne, and what is around the throne. And on the throne, I've got my Bible right here. So on the throne, so Revelation four, if you've got your Bibles, make sure they're open to uh, verse two. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby and a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Like on the throne. It's interesting it doesn't describe what God looks like. Uh, but the light, the rainbow, the emerald, it describes what he feels like. And I gotta tell you this week, for sure, uh, like you, man, I've been uh, confused by government mandates. I have been confused by what's happening like with our school. 
Um, I know we have school board officials. You guys are working so hard to make the right decision. Uh, and, and so we, you know, like most parents, we were all kind of confused and, and not really sure what's happening. And there's a little bit of frustration. You might be feeling that. I don't know. Uh, of course, then the next day after we make the announcement in our county, the CDC comes out and says, well, this is uh, our recommendation, which is open schools. And what I was feeling this week was just an enormous amount of, of weight, of uh, frustration. And I'm reading about the throne. I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if John must have felt that too. And that when the curtain, you know, peels back, that what John saw was a throne, right? So in Rome, he would have been very well aware of the throne of Domitian. But here is the throne of grace, the throne that is above every throne. That's the throne that he was looking at. And it was a reminder to John, that the most powerful man in the world at that time, Domitian, that there was still somebody else more powerful, which is God. And that is what I really needed to be reminded of this week, because I think what I was experiencing was that in my world, I, uh, when I feel the weight of that, uh, the heaviness and the burden, it's actually me putting myself on the throne in a way. Uh, it's for sure forgetting about the fact that there is a God who is on the throne and who is sovereign. Uh, I, I like the way that uh, David Gusick put this. He's a pastor in um, California. But he says this, that the bottom line of humanism or atheism is that there is no throne. There is no seal of authority or power that the entire universe must uh, answer to. Uh, and he says this, the bottom line of humanism is that there's a throne, but man sits on it. And he goes on to say that essentially man cannot live without the concept of a throne, of a supreme ruler. So if man dethrones God, he will inescapably place himself, which is what I think I was doing this week, or some other man on the throne, perhaps a political leader. Some of you are doing that, some of us. As was the case with the uh, dictators of Lenin and Stalin and Mao. That was written a while back, I would add, you know, uh, Ayatollah, Z, Putin, any, anybody on the throne besides God is going to leave us empty. And the weight of that this week, when I kept reminding myself of who was on the throne, uh, it doesn't come intuitively, but as I reminded myself of that, I'm like, okay, God is on the throne. God is on the throne. The weight that I'm feeling, I'm going to put back on him. I'm going to let him make, we're going to make the best decisions we know to make, but I got to put the weight on him. And that's been a huge relief for me because I don't know about you, but man, I have, uh, this season has felt a little heavy. You know, I have felt personally that every decision that we make as a church leadership, um, is going to be either loved or despised, right? It feels like that it's an impossible situation sometimes because on the one hand, uh, when we gather, it's not that we don't gather without risk. Um, that's never the case, by the way. We always gather with risk. But by not gathering, there's risk. And I've shared that before, uh, that with the emotional health in our country right now, that having a place where we can come together and be uh, inspired and, and spiritually transformed is, is good for our emotional health, for our mental health. And then last week, uh, we gathered together and a family who was visiting heard about what we're doing with uh, freeing slaves in Pakistan and wrote a check for $25,000. Do you know how many families that'll free? 25, uh, give or take, 25 families 
who that just wouldn't have happened if we wouldn't have gathered. And for me, that has been the, I guess the weight of this season has been, I feel like we don't gather and it risks people's lives. We do gather and it, you know, there's a risk with that. So it's like, it almost feels like this impossible situation. That's been the weight of it all. And, you know, I, we got to put that weight on God. And that's what I've been attempting to do this week is to say that, hey, and I'm just like you, I'm trying to make decisions for my uh, 15-year-old, soon-to-be 15-year-old son about school, sit in front of a computer for seven hours a day. Doesn't It just feels like, ugh, that's not what I want for my family. And there's nothing I can do about it except for go back to the throne of grace. And what I love is this one that sat on it. He had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby and a rainbow shone like emerald encircled the throne, a rainbow all around the throne. I was actually reminded as I was reading that this week of uh, Isaac Newton in 1665 when he was uh, home during the plague, uh, quite uh, coincidentally maybe, trying to solve the world's problems. And one of the problems he wanted to solve was uh, what is color? It's not a weird thing to want to solve. Like I've never even thought, hey, I'm looking at the red stop sign. Is it actually red or is that only in my eyes? That was what Newton was trying to solve. Uh, and so his first attempt, by the way, which uh, I, I'll say this, uh, Isaac Newton uh, was a weirdo, as best I can tell, because he took a sharp object and he jabbed it between his eyeball and his eye socket all the way into the back to try to figure out what would happen and if, if the color was just coming from his eye or if it was in the real world. And by the way, the result of that was that uh, it hurt really bad and that's a, the only result. But what he then did was he took a prism and he, uh, he darkened the shades in his house and uh, he put a prism in front of it. And we know what happens when a prism hits light, like the rainbow shows up. Now in his day, white light was considered pure. It was considered holy. And what he was wondering and asking the question of was, does this white light, when the rainbow comes out the other side, is it being muddied up by the prism? Uh, if white light is pure, then this, this rainbow is muddying up the light. So he took another prism. So he's got a prism here with the rainbow and then he takes another prism and just puts it in front of the blue strand. And thinking the theory was that if it turns any other color but blue, then this is just the prism messing up light. He puts it in front of blue. And on the other side, the result was blue. Because what he learned in that moment is that a rainbow that we see in the sky, the covenant, the promise of God's covenant, is nothing but the full illumination, the full visualization, the full experience of what light is. Every component and every compartment. A rainbow is not an interruption of light, it is light. And coming, like sitting on that throne was the full expression, the full illumination of light. Jesus, I am the light of the world and they're on the throne. And I say that because in the most confusing and complicated situations, the full light of God is still shining. And so me sitting in my living room, like I'm saying right now, Lord, I don't like any of this. I think I'm fine. I don't like this season that I'm in. This feels completely stupid to me to be sitting on YouTube, but this is the full expression of light. I'm gonna express, I'm just, God, I trust you this morning. God, I'm gonna put you on the throne this morning. I made the best decision I know how to make and I'm gonna let you, Lord, do the rest with the full illumination of light, right? See, the light that I saw this morning was stay home. That's as much light as I had. And I'm gonna let the illumination of the rest of light do what God does on the throne. 
on the throne was God. And from the throne uh, came flashes of lightning and roars of thunder. Uh, I don't know if you guys, uh, where you grew up, but where I was at out in the Midwest, it was like God just took a rolling pin and, and flattened it all. But what that means is I could see lightning and thunder. You could watch a storm roll in from like uh, 50 miles away. Like you literally could see it from forever away. And by the way, thunderstorms for me is beautiful. Like I love it. Now the problem with the thunder and lightning is it's beautiful when it's over there. It's deadly when it's right here. And what this would have reminded the readers of especially a Jewish reader, is Exodus 19, Moses on Sinai, thunder and lightning. Because lightning is beautiful and it is uh, just a picturesque experience unless you're in it. And what happened on Mount Sinai was a picture that a holy and a righteous God, you cannot stand in his presence and live. I cannot stand in the presence of lightning and live. And that is what the judgment of God is about, that he is holy, he is perfect, and that for me to stand in his presence is deadly, unless I have lightning immunity. <laughs> lightning immunity, if you've ever driven around in a car, what do they tell you? Stay in the car, right? Uh, if there's lightning, the lightning strikes the car, and it will not harm you because you are sheltered, because the, the, the rubber does not conduct it, it stops the lightning, it contains it. When you or I are in Christ, he is immunity of lightning. He took our punishment. He took our lightning on the cross, right? Which is why I think that uh, in front of the throne, this is such a progression of the way that grace works, right? Uh, if you've got on the throne God, you've got from the throne, uh, you've got uh, lightning and thunder, but in front of the throne, it says in uh, verses five and six, in front of the throne, seven lamps, it's the seven spirits of God, it's the Holy Spirit. And also in front of the throne, there's what looked like a sea of glass, uh, calm as crystal. If you've been to 30A and you've seen the beach, right? And you've, uh, doesn't it seem like whenever you schedule a trip to the beach, you've gotta take like an extra, uh, <laughs> one or two days that week is gonna rain, right? Like, so you have to have an extra day for like the movie or whatever, but, uh, when you sit on a balcony of a condo and you watch a thunderstorm rolling in on the beach, what do you notice about the waves? Even a storm far out, the closer it gets, the bigger the waves get. And what's awesome is that what is in front of this throne is a calm sea. Thunder and lightning, a lot going on, but it is calm. And here's why it's calm. Uh, in front of the temple, before someone could ever get into the temple, a priest could get into the temple, they had to wash their hands, wash their feet, uh, because they had to enter the presence of God clean. It was ritual, it was a ritual of it, but God honored it. And in front of the, the temple of the tabernacle, the very first thing a priest encountered before they went in was a bronze laver that was full of water. And they would wash their hands with it, and they would wash their feet. And you know what happens when you wash in a bowl, splashing you know, water everywhere, but not in front of the throne of grace, because in this throne, this throne of grace, the reason it's a throne of grace is because I'm in Christ and I have uh, immunity and there is no more washing to be done. 
uh, the, the sea is calm because I am clean, that the waves are gone. Uh, Psalm 2 says that this earth is like a raging sea, a raging storm and a raging sea, but in heaven the sea is calm because the work that Jesus did has calmed it all. And that, uh, we stand in his presence in his grace, that the thunder and the lightning coming from the throne room, you and I, uh, it says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and it dwells in me and it doesn't kill us because we're in Christ and he uh, gave us lightning immunity. That was what's on the throne. That is what is in front of the throne, coming from the throne and what is around the throne. Now, I'm gonna go into depth to talk about this in the, the on the podcast Sorry, my mouth is so dry, you can strike a match on my tongue right now. I need water. Uh, what is around the throne are these beasts with eyes. And by the way, this all seems super creepy if you just take it at face value of this, but I'll share this week about what this is speaking of. But I want to focus this morning on what the 24 elders, uh, what these beasts were doing. Because what was all around the throne was worship. Um, they were singing, holy, 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 verse eight, is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, like that, that is what they're doing, they're worshiping. Now you might say, uh, I've been worshiping uh, this morning even, I was singing this morning. And I wanna suggest to you that worshiping and singing are not necessarily the same thing. Uh, if, if my wife were standing there today, I would have her stand up with me and I would say, for me to say to Shannon, I hug you, I hug you, I hug you, or Shannon, I kiss you, I kiss you, I kiss you, uh, it feels kind of silly, right? Because there's actually an act of it, an action of it. And in this imagery right here is so amazing because it teaches me what worship uh, is. Like I can sing, that is a form of worship, but while I'm in there, uh, in worshiping, that when I'm saying glory to God, so glory belongs to him. In the Hebrew word, glory means kavod. Uh, it's the word, the Hebrew word, and uh, David Shandell, when you come at the end, you can correct my pronunciation of that because I'm getting it all wrong. But the word means weight, like it's the heft and the heaviness of it. What did I say at the very beginning? I felt a heaviness this week, right? I felt the heaviness and the weight of the decisions. I felt the heaviness and the weight of the pressure, of the perception, of all of those things. I even feel the weight of, you know, the risk that we take. And none of that is weight that a human can bear alone. And so when I'm saying glory to God, what I'm saying is, Lord, you alone can bear this weight. Lord, Lord you alone can carry this. You are the one who makes the decisions on who lives and dies in this earth. You are sovereign. You are Lord of all. When I say glory to him, that's what I am saying. So it's not just a word of uh, uh, glory, God, glory, God, I hug you, Shannon, I hug you, Shannon. It's actually a message of I am putting the weight of that decision on you today and every day. And then honor. Honor speaks of like the sacrifice, uh, the value of the sacrifice that God made for us. Um, uh, in fact, the, the Greek word, it speaks of like putting a value on it. So which is why we would say like we've honored them by putting them in a hall of fame. We're, we're putting a value on them. And the value, man, the value that we put on what Jesus did for us, 
is everything. So I say, glory, God, I'm putting the weight on you. Honor, I am valuing what you have done. And the value of that is nothing short of my very life. That's why Romans 12 says that when you offer your life as a living sacrifice, right? Holy, pleasing, acceptable to him. That is my reasonable act of worship. The reasonable act of worship, that's what it is. That's worship is offering my life as a living sacrifice. It's me putting the weight and the heft of all of these decisions. For you young people that are making your college decisions right now, man, it's complicated, I know. We've had those conversations in our house, man, to pay $23,000 a year so that my daughter can watch uh, college on, on TV. It just, that's a heavy decision. How do we make these choices? I'm putting the weight back on you, God. You're sovereign, you're gonna figure this out. I'm gonna make the best decision I know, and then glory to you, God. Honor, Lord, I'm honoring you 100%. This is my life. It's everything you've done, I'm offering it back to you. And then it says, and thanks. And thanks, uh, the word there is Eucharisto, where we get our word Eucharist from. The word that you, many liturgical churches would use in reference to communion. When you partook of communion this morning, the Eucharist, it's that reminder of the thankfulness of what Jesus did for us. And here's why this is so important. Worship is what changes us. Um, there was a, I listened to a message this week from uh, Tim Keller. Uh, this was actually thanks to Brandon Bush. Shout out to Brandon. Uh, he's been sharing with me some of these teachings from Keller on uh, David. But in one of the messages, he talked about how David was changed through worship. And he quoted a poet named David Foster Wallace. I put my magic glasses on so I could read this to you verbatim. But this is what uh, David Foster Wallace, a novelist, a poet, uh, who as far as we could tell is not actually a religious man at all, uh, at a commencement speech said this, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what? to worship, again, from a, a non-religious man, but who understands what worship means, which is I am putting the weight, the glory, the honor, putting it all onto something besides uh, a deity. He actually goes on to say this, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Some of you know that already. You'll never feel you have enough, it's just the truth. He says, worship your own body, and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly and listen to this. And when time and age start showing, look at me, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you in the ground. If you worship power, you will be weak and afraid. You will never need, uh, you will ever need more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart, which is something I feel like I struggle with because I want you to think I know what I'm doing. Listen to what he says, that's what you're worshiping. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out and so on. And he goes on to finish his speech. And that, you guys, I guess I'm saying that even a secular humanist knows that we're all gonna worship something. Uh, and, and when uh, Keller was talking about worship, he spoke specifically of David when he returned to Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. And David, uh, you remember the story? It says, that, I think King James says he was naked, dancing. He'd taken off all of his king ornaments. He wasn't, obviously, he wasn't butt naked. Dancing with the commoners. 
and his wife, who was the daughter of Saul, um, Michal, Michal is really, actually they don't know how to pronounce it, but she is watching him come back and she's angry at him. Uh, she knows that a king is not supposed to do that. In that day and age, a king is not supposed to come off of their throne. They have to rule with fear. They have to rule with strength because they'll be overthrown, because the neighbors will come in and, and conquer you. So you have to put fear in the people's hearts. That was just the accepted idea of their day. And when David is doing this, David is rejecting the accepted idea of their day, and she was angry at it. But what she was angry at, according to Keller, which totally makes sense to me, was that David had changed, right? Because what David was was saying that there's a throne in the universe. I might be the most powerful man in Israel, but I'm not the most powerful man in the world. There is a throne that is above mine. If you go and you read that story, you see that that's what David is saying, that I will, if I have to be even more humiliated, to be more humbled, I will do that because there's a throne above mine. And what David was doing was putting the weight of his office, the weight of his responsibility, the weight of all the pressure of his family, of his community, of his country, and he put that weight on God and worshiped him. And when you do that, it changes you. Uh, you can come to church every week and sing, but if you're not putting the weight back on God, if you're not honoring him and valuing him with the, just the sacrifice of my total life and giving him thanks, the, the Eucharist of the thanks of the sacrifice that he made for me, then I'm not actually worshiping, I'm just singing. And singing, it makes you feel real great, right? Who doesn't love to you know, roll around town and, and sing you know, Chicago's greatest hits out loud, but that doesn't change you. Singing worship songs doesn't change you. Worshiping him changes you. Everybody's gonna worship, right? If I'm worshiping money or power, it changes me, but it changes me for the, for the worse, for the negative. But if I'm worshiping Jesus, worshiping the one who can withstand the weight of what he has asked and what this world requires, that will change me and it'll change you. And I would encourage you this morning, uh, I know I'm not with you, but no, I'm actually sitting home watching right now with you. I'm praying for you. Take your weight to the throne room this morning. If you don't have that relationship with Jesus right now, uh, I think he's returning soon. I think every one of these 22 chapters of Revelation are going to come true. I want you to make sure your life is right with Jesus. David Shindell will pray in a moment here for you to talk about that. For those of us who are in Christ, who have the lightning immunity, right? Who can stand in heaven. No, one day we'll be there for sure. We will be there. But for now, pull back the curtain, right? Allow the apocalypse, the unveiling of what is happening in our universe right now which is that God is still on the throne. There is still thunder and lightning. There is still justice from God. There is still a throne room of grace available. There is still the Holy Spirit, which promised peace I will leave with you. Uh, he says, in this world, you'll have troubles, but peace I leave with you. The Holy Spirit before the throne, around the throne worship. Lord, that's what we wanna do today. Thank you guys for being patient and for watching this through the video, I pray, Lord, right now that the words that I have spoken, even though they're in a camera, in an iPhone, uh, that your Holy Spirit is way more powerful than an iPhone. Lord, your, your, your power is more powerful than COVID-19, than, than uh, our school situations, all of those things, Lord, the weight I put on you this morning, Father. And I pray that my brothers and sisters here at Conduit would do the same. We love you, Lord, we honor you. Uh, it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray.
Amen. Thank you guys for your patience. I pray that this blessed you, and I pray that uh, what David has to say right now in closing will bless you guys as well. This text of scripture tells us that the thunder and the lightnings of God's judgment are coming. It's not just in our country right now that there's uncertainty and unrest. It's all around the world. We don't know how bad it's going to get how soon. We don't know how much longer it is before the Lord returns for us. But here's what we do know, and here's the central big idea of this text. If, it's conditional, if you are in Christ, you are going to be okay. The converse is also true. If you are not in Christ, you will not be okay. What does it mean to be in Christ? Darren talked about that washing, that laver in front of the temple or outside the court. If you are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, if you have been washed in his blood, you will be okay. Not long ago, the Jewish people celebrated Yom Kippur, which means day of covering. The picturing of the children of Israel about to flee and escape Egypt. And Jesus said, if you will take the blood of the lamb and cover the doorpost with the blood, the death angel will pass over. You'll be covered. You'll be okay. Two groups of people in here right now this morning. Those who've been covered and those who have not. For those of you who have been covered, no need to fear. No need to fear. God is on his throne. Think of this. God has never wrung his hands. God rules. He reigns. He's holy. He's almighty. He's created you. He has ownership rights over you. Worship him. But if you are not covered... If you do not know Jesus, may we appeal to you. May we plead with you this morning. Don't leave this place until you speak with someone and, and see God's words, his own word, where he has sent his only beloved son to pay the price and penalty of your unrighteousness so that his blood can cover you and wash you. And one day you too will be with those elders and creatures standing in the midst of that throne singing, worthy are you, O Lord, glory and honor and praise to you forever and ever and ever. If you know Jesus, whatever is to come in this life, Know that one day, that will soon pass, you will be okay, and you will be one of the eternal worshipers in glory. If you want that this morning, you can have it right now. Come to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Trust him and him alone to save you and make you an eternal worshiper too. Would you stand with me? Let's pray as, pray as we close. Father... In the name of Jesus Christ, this one who sits at your right hand right now, whom you have given all power and all authority in heaven and in earth and under the earth, 
To him, Lord, we give glory and honor and praise. And we thank you for saving us who have called upon you and trusted you for doing the work that only you could do to save us. Lord, in these uncertain days and times, may we rest secure. May we be imaging the light of the gospel everywhere we go and in every conversation that we have. Help us to trust and to depend and give us this insatiable desire to look forward to the moment where with those 24 elders and four creatures, we join them singing eternity the praise of our God and Savior. But for the one here this morning who does not have that hope, who's living maybe in shame and guilt and despair. Jesus, would you right now, tenderly and carefully through the power of your spirit, would you draw them to you? And Lord, may the rest of us who know you, may we just maybe be sensitive this morning, a little bit of discernment. We ask for the spirit to lead us, maybe to pause and linger, to be able to talk to someone, look into someone's eyes. Are you okay? And Lord, would you use your church, your word, your spirit this morning, once again, to draw another one into the citizenship of the kingdom of heaven. Lastly, Lord, we pray for Darren, our pastor, our teacher. I pray that you would, that you would minister healing to him. And whatever this is, Lord, may you make it quick and sudden in disappearance that you'd heal him of this and that he would be back with us soon. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this day. Thank you that you and you alone are on the throne. And everyone said... Amen. May God bless you. God bless you.